This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts Ben Schiller, Danny Nelson, and Cam Thompson as they seize the world of crypto. Hello, welcome to Carpe Consensus. This is a podcast from the Coindesk Podcast Network, and I am Ben Schiller, Features Editor here at Coindesk. And joining me today is Danny Nelson, who is a Senior Business Editor here at Coindesk, and Cam Thompson, who is a Web3 reporter. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Good, good, good. I think we're struggling through this bear market quite ably. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, it's the beginning of 2023, and... Things are not looking great for the rest of the year. I don't know. I've been having a hard time staying optimistic lately. I don't know about you, Danny. I'm, I'm ready for my next winter vacation already. <laughs> this is Carpe Consensus, Coindesk's best podcast, where we talk about the biggest trends in crypto, what's happening, what's going on, who's leading the charge, and most importantly, where you can hear them. That's at the Consensus Festival in Austin, Texas. Here at Carpet Consensus, we're picking some of the best speakers for that festival and bringing them to you to hear what they have to think about the crypto world. On the show today, we've got a great interview with Amanda Cassatt, the head of marketing agency Serotonin and an OG. She used to work at Consensus with Y, the Ethereum company. But before we get to our interview with Amanda, we're going to do a rundown of the biggest stories in crypto this week. Let's get to it. Hello, hello. All right. So we got some news from the NFT world. It might be the start of a trend we'll begin to see in the next few weeks. But looking at super rare NFT marketplace, they have cut 30% of their staff. So it looks like the bear market might have finally arrived to these NFT companies. Danny, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, this is really a story about crypto in the macro sense of the crypto world. Everyone is hemorrhaging money right now in the bear market, and NFTs, you know, those collectible JPEGs, are hardly immune from that. Last week, we saw Michael Rubin, the head of Fanatics, which is a major sports licensing company, basically write off and sell out his entire stake in Candy Digital, saying the NFT market just isn't right for us. We're not going to make money. We can't go down this path. And you're seeing that in companies too. They're downsizing right now because they're too large and there's too little profit to be made. One thing I'm interested in is uh, whether we're going to see, as a result of this downturn, a move from the centralized platforms like SuperRare to decentralized trading of NFTs. Uh, that would seem to be cheaper and less kind of open to these volatility in, in, in the market if you can cut costs and you don't need to kind of ramp up when there's a bull market and then ramp down when there's a bear market, you can find something more sustainable. And we have seen a number of decentralized marketplaces appear recently, and uh, I'm wondering if they're going to now gain traction. You know, it's interesting. I haven't really thought about that aspect of it because I have seen that a lot of people like to start with these centralized marketplaces because the onboarding process is easier. They have a lot more NFTs that people are super familiar with or better on-ramps in order to initially buy those first tokens in their collection. And in a time when a lot of that hype, which is bringing in new buyers, is sort of dying off, I think that there's definitely a possibility that we might see a little bit more action from these decentralized marketplaces. You know, I, 
I don't know. I think that there's definitely a need to have decentralized marketplaces, but I don't think that that will reverse the trend that we're seeing, which is simply that people don't want to or aren't trading NFTs nearly as much as they used to. And that's going to be true if you're an OpenSea or if you're a LooksRare. On both sides of the equation, you're not seeing the volumes you used to. Well, I think another part of that too, though, is that with this whole creator royalties debate that really took over in the latter half of 2022, there's even more of a push to have artists be able to sell their NFTs with their royalties embedded in smart contracts. Do you think it's going to be a standard in the uh, you know, year ahead to have those smart contracts really enshrining the rights of creators on those platforms? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that there's more of a push for a lot of these creators to be able to customize what exactly the terms and conditions are of their NFT mints and how they're able to best maintain their royalties, creator rights, a lot of the pain points that have been associated with the traditional art worlds that have somehow made their way to Web3. There's an importance of maintaining that Web3 ethos that people came here in the first place to build. Now, that's true. But when we're in a bear market and you're the consumer who wants to go out and buy the thing, most of the time you're not going to burden yourself with the high-minded ideals of the space. You're going to want to look for the best deal. So, Cam, do you think that creators will can afford to demand that they get their royalties when everyone's just looking for volume? Yes, absolutely. I think that it's even more important of a time for creators to be able to stick up for their rights to help educate so many people who came into the space just to flip NFTs and make a quick buck. Why? For digital artists, for people who are showcasing art in the NFT space, that it is so much better than this traditional gallery world, museum world, where when you sold your work, you would have to pay 50% of fees and you would never earn royalties on your pieces. I would say, though, there still should be a little slot of the market where you can usurp these. I bought the Trump NFT and I sold the Trump NFT at a profit. And I had to give up 10% of that profit to Donald Trump, which I wasn't so happy about. And I would have loved to sidestep that fee. I don't think that he needed to take my money. Okay, well, you weren't really buying an art NFT, were you? But it was an NFT, right? I mean, some people think it's art. The person who bought it from me certainly did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a fair point. They have, I would say, poor taste in art, but you're allowed to have poor taste in art. When was the last time you guys paid a royalty on an NFT? Uh, Like two weeks ago. Never. I got I got my dad an NFT for Christmas. Was it? Did it look rare? It had some rarities. Yes. What did you buy your dad, and was he happy? I'm hearing some buyer's remorse in this voice. Did he not like the present? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is that I was so excited to get it for him. He didn't like it, did he? Okay, let me finish. Yeah, he didn't like it. I was so excited to get it for him, and I had been following Art Blocks for a while and was really looking forward to it. He had expressed interest in owning a generative art NFT, so I thought this would be great. So Miragem by Third Vision is a recent mint that occurred on Artblocks. Miragem means mirage in Portuguese. And it was basically different lines and colors portrayed to invoke some sense of peace and calming. And I gifted him one because I thought he could use it to display on his computer or put in a digital art frame or more so just be a part of the community by owning this NFT, like the greater Artblocks community. And I don't really think he got that, which 
is a little sad. <laughs> but that's what happens. Wap, I, mean, wap. I see see like I wish someone would gift me an NFT. So I was just way more excited about gifting it to him. But yeah. Describe his voice when when his daughter gave him a JPEG. That boobs. <laughs> so I have to explain how I gifted it to him. I put it in a card. And I said, Merry Christmas, now give me your Ethereum address. So then I immediately, you know, went into my wallet and transferred it to him. And then he got it. And I mean, he was excited about it. It wasn't necessarily the reaction I was super looking for. It wasn't, I mean, I would have, if it was me, I would have been like over the moon. But, you know, I can't expect that of everyone, right? Some people just aren't classy. I mean, I don't know. Would you guys, would you guys react that way? How would you guys react if you received an NFT? You know, it, it depends if it looks sufficiently rare. Like, if it looks sufficiently rare, I'm going to like it. If it doesn't look rare, I don't know. This one had rarity traits, so I sh- maybe I should have made that known when I presented the gift. All right, well, uh, hopefully uh, he'll appreciate it over time. Thanks, guys. Uh, let's wrap up the section and move to the interview. Welcome to today's speaker spotlight. Today, we are talking to Amanda Cassatt, a consensus speaker for our festival in Austin, April 26th through 29th. Amanda joins us as CEO and founder of Web3 marketing firm Serotonin, also the former CMO at blockchain firm Consensus with a Y, not the Consensus Festival, something different. Amanda, thanks so much for being here today. Looking forward to speaking to you. Thanks for having me. I want to start off with the first question, kind of setting the scene as to what's going on right now. It's the beginning of 2023. We are fully in a bear market, but there's been a lot of sentiments around building Web3 technologies, companies entering with Web3 strategies. I guess I want to hear from you what, you know, what's the current state of affairs in terms of Web3 landscape, you know, kind of separate from the general crypto space? Yeah, sure. So a lot of people say, It's a cope to call it a builder's market right now, but I actually think it's just true. It's the perfect time for traditional and Web2 brands that want to get into Web3 to come up with their Web3 strategies and build them such that they're ready to execute in the market conditions of their choice. A lot of folks start building at the very top of the market, and by the time they're ready to launch their programs, the conditions have changed and become unfavorable. So it's almost like surfing. You paddle out to the wave and then you wait for the wave to come in and that's how you get up and ride it in. For the Web3 community, now's a great time to build and now's a great time to do testing for product market fit with audiences. It can be very hard to test and figure out whether people really like your product or whether they're just aping into your token or community. But in these kinds of conditions, you can get actual direct feedback from users because if they don't like it, they're really not going to use it. What are some other types of these strategies, these activations that you've seen brands tap into and you think they'll continue to do so? So something like airline points is the perfect candidate for a Web3 strategy because by bringing your reward system onto Web3, you're developing Web3 native CRM. The blockchain is the best CRM ever known to humankind, right? because previously we were extrapolating buying behavior based on identity, and now we can just look at buying behavior across wallets, whether we're storing data or whether we're keeping those wallets anonymous. We can reward the people 
in our network with digitally native artifacts, which makes it really easy to send things to them and have them actually get received. Now, Amanda, you know, I used to write for the points guy, so I'm very attuned to the loyalty points and airline miles market. If I'm like United or Delta or American, I really value my loyalty systems. What upside would I have by putting that on a blockchain? Because, I mean, for, for the consumer, I guess maybe presumably there's some interoperability aspect and stuff like that. But for brands, why would they want to give up any semblance of control or any level of control? Theoretically, they can still control their, their own communities. They can still reach out and target people whenever they want. They can reward people whenever they want. But obviously, by putting this out there on a public blockchain, they do make their community, I guess, vulnerable to other people offering them rewards, but that could be a benefit, right? So let's say other people want to reward the folks that have accumulated a lot of Delta airline miles or target those people with incentives, that's gonna be exciting for the people that are in that community. It also, in many cases, could be easier for a brand to build that database on chain where they could prevent losses, where they could better protect privacy by protecting pseudonymity instead of storing all that individual data. And then I think every company is gonna end up as a Web3 company. And the people that come in first have the opportunity to be market leaders and to spend longer building that deeper database that that is that kind of blockchain CRM and community if they're going to end up there anyway. So Amanda, I mean, it's great that these companies are investing in in Web3 and that makes total sense. But there is kind of a widespread distrust of crypto and Web3 out there in the wake of FTX and sort of undeniable. I mean, how are these companies kind of, you know, sort of betting on the future, but also being aware of current public sentiment? So I actually had a piece in Coindesk right after the FTX debacle first went down, which is this is a failure of CeFi, not DeFi. The message that we at Serotonin have been trying to share, because we obviously work with a lot of brands that are new to Web3, is FTX wasn't a Web3 business. It was a traditional centralized exchange. There have been centralized exchanges for hundreds of years, and nothing that collapsed had to do with Web3. Also, it seems that they perpetrated fraud. Fraud is already illegal. You don't need any new laws or regulations in order to make what they did be illegal. And so you compare that to something like Aave or Curve or Balancer or Uniswap, which functioned perfectly throughout that collapse, defined as users never losing access to their assets. So actually, DeFi functioned well through that debacle and protected consumers well. Whereas centralized exchanges of the type that we've seen for centuries performed really poorly. Looking forward in the next few months, when you know we're very much in a bear market, we're still dealing with some of these fallouts from FTX. We'll probably see a lot more. You know, how do you think that some of these brands that are looking to deploy Web three strategies can separate that from the current state of the bear market, or like is that even possible? Absolutely. So I think we're going to see a lot more focus on utility. In this market, we see the real value of things because people aren't necessarily buying a fungible token because it's a crypto token. People aren't necessarily buying an NFT because it's an NFT. You're going to see more buyers because of utility. What brands and also anyone building natively in the Web3 space should realize is that by using the Web3 substrate, by using the Web3 tool set, by making a fungible token or by making an NFT, What you're not doing is creating value out of thin air. 
what you are doing is just putting a cell wall around a kind of value that already exists somewhere that allows that thing to function as a cell, let's say in an economic way, and to be exchangeable with other kinds of cells in the economy. And I think a lot of the new Web3 digital assets that end up being successful are going to be ones that emphasize utility like rewards, like membership, like access. I think that's really going to be the direction. And then I think we also seen a lot of brands coming in and harnessing the benefits of Web3 without paying homage to Web3. So you saw that with Reddit. I think we're going to see more of that. You're going to see it with the Starbucks rollout, where you're not always being told this is a crypto token. You're not always being told this is an NFT. It really comes down to audience segmentation on that point. If you're speaking to a crypto native audience that's enthusiasts, then it's awesome to talk about the technology and why that's important and how it works. But for most people, how it works doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what it does. Now, I mean, when I look at the different brand activations, I'm starting to see a trend where they emphasize that I don't actually need to use a wallet. Like for Starbucks Odyssey, there's no wallet required. In one sense, it is valuable to not burden people with the how is this happening aspect if it just works. But in a very real crypto sense, if I want to have everything revolving around Nelson.eth then I want to be able to have all these different rewards programs and something going back to my crypto digital identity. So what's the point for the crypto world of these projects when they don't actually make you use a wallet or when they don't let you use your own wallet? Personally, I think that projects that don't onboard people into self-sovereign Web3 asset ownership isn't real Web3 onboarding. I think there's no point at all. The most exciting thing to me about NFTs is that most of the NFT adoption has taught people self-sovereign custody of their assets. A lot of people that come in and start trading fungible tokens come in and start using centralized exchanges like formerly FTX, but like Binance or Coinbase, and maybe eventually they branch out, they start using a MetaMask, they learn more about Web3, but a lot of them will get stuck in that custodial world. Whereas people that came in mostly and started buying NFTs, trading NFTs, were custodying themselves right from the beginning. And so I understand the challenges that brands have with audiences that are not Web3 native. And I think there are UX solutions that are compromises. One example that we've pioneered at Mojito is a progressively sovereign wallet, where originally maybe you're using the Gnosis multisig and there are multiple keys. Maybe a trusted third party also has a key. And then as that user learns more about Web3 and progresses on their journey, they can boot the other people from the multi-sig and be the only key holder. I think that's really interesting because it allows for a new user who might immediately lose their keys and then have a bad experience. It, it allows them to avoid that, but it also allows them to actually take self-sovereign control of their assets, take root ownership of their assets, which I think is the point of what we're, what we're doing here. So I think, I think there are clever solutions here. And I think it's great if and when projects can allow people to come in with their own native wallets as well. So it's like an on-ramp with different levels then? I think there are creative UX solutions to this exactly like that. People that make a binary between, you know, nor- normal people will never be able to custody their own crypto and have root ownership of their own assets. I disagree with that. I think there there are ways to solve for that. And that's the core benefit of Web3 is the idea that everyone could have root ownership of their assets. 
So, Amanda, something I wanted to go back to is not just from the technology, you know, being separate from these NFT projects, like not needing a wallet to participate in some of these activations. And, you know, I understand the onboarding side of things, but when looking at some of these projects that have really built their entire brand on being like NFTs, you know, like PFP projects, a lot of other communities that have this like non-fungible token element that's so integral to their existence, I guess, what do you think might change when it comes to this almost rebrand of Web3? Well, I think it's about knowing your audience. And as a marketer, I think that anyone launching any kind of product should make sure the language they use to describe the product is both accurate, is going to be comprehensible to that audience and matches with the products that that audience wants. And so I think it's natural that different projects would use different language. Also, in the early web days, people would say, this is an internet store. This is an internet company. This is a web store. This is a web company. And eventually that fell away. And you just say, this is a site, this is a company, this is a store. I think dropping some of the technical language is just going to happen naturally as these things become more ubiquitous because it won't be necessary to say anymore. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Really looking forward to seeing how a lot of these trends play out in the coming months. And best of luck as we navigate this bear market and figure out how we're going to get NFTs on the map for these real valuable Web3 strategies. Same to you. Thanks so much for having me on. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, where Web3 meets IRL, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code CARPE to get 15% off your pass. Visit coindesk.com slash consensus or check the link in the show notes. All right, everyone, we are back with another Cam's Corner. So today in the world of Web3, NFTs, the metaverse, specifically the metaverse we're going to focus on today, I spent four days in Vegas, which I'm not going to lie, is three days too many in that city (laughs) in Nevada. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a long time. But while I was there, I was attending CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, which is an annual trade show with over 100,000 attendees. 100,000 people, oh my God. 100,000 people, can you believe that? From all over the world, insane numbers. But all different companies exhibiting their new technology. So new cameras from Nikon, new... uh, Just cameras. (laughs) Guys, there were only cameras at CES, nothing else. (laughs) Um, Anyways, yeah, new cameras, (laughs) massage chairs, different types of technologies, all consumer electronics, and there was a good chunk of metaverse technology there. So some of these include haptic tech, which include gloves you can wear that allow you to, you know, pick up and touch things in different metaverses, different types of VR headsets. Um, there was one thing that I, there was one thing I found that was rather entertaining. It was this one metaverse company that had goggles and they also had gloves, but they had this thing that you put over your mouth so you can scream into it when you're in the metaverse and it's a soundproof box. So this little soundproof box you're able to speak into and no one else around you can hear. I thought it was exceedingly odd, but probably useful. In the metaverse, no one can hear you scream. (laughs) 
Exactly. Dun, dun, dun. But this sounds like a chamber of horrors. This does not sound like a very fun CES to me. No, I mean, there were a lot of different cool types of metaverse tech there. I mean, I got to speak to a lot of companies that were really focusing on making a solution for the future of work. So helping brands establish offices in the metaverse, helping people get more into retail and setting up different e-commerce solutions here. But I do have to say, I think that there is a discrepancy between Web3 metaverses and just plain metaverses. And that's something that I'm still struggling to wrap my brain around as to where we're going to go. Well, uh, my feeling about the metaverse generally is I feel like we went through this very harrowing COVID period. And I think that really gave a big boost to the metaverse. And everyone said, we're going to live in this kind of virtual world in the future. But I think coming out of COVID, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that's what everyone really wants. I mean, obviously, we're still tethered to our phones and, and very online. But I get the sense that uh, the momentum for the metaverse was very much kind of egged up during the COVID period. And now people just want to go outside and, and be with their friends in the park, I think. I don't know if that's exactly right, but that's, that's my feeling about it. Yeah, early on in COVID, Coindesk actually, Ben, you were the only one here for this too. Coindesk right. purchased us all Oculi Rift, Oculus Rift headsets, and then we had a meeting together in the metaverse. And it was extremely jank and kind of weird, and we never did it again. <laughs> so we yeah. all just have these $500 headsets collecting dust. Doesn't mean that the metaverse won't work, but whatever our iteration of it was, definitely did not. That's very odd. Yeah, there was definitely a signal there. Uh, I mean, a couple of people on staff actually got motion sickness from uh, using the Oculus while we were having this meeting. We won't name them, but uh, that seemed like a bad sign for uh, the idea of companies meeting in this virtual world in the future. What if you're wearing the screen box when you get motion sickness? <laughs> See, this is a safety hazard, man. That is a safety hazard. That would be very, very not good. Cam, how long until we can bring haptic gloves into Decentraland with all five other users? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that when people start actually using Decentraland and <laughs> we have some, until there are actually some legitimate enough activations where, let's say it's Metaverse Fashion Week and I want to actually pick up the Gucci scarf that I'm going to purchase as an NFT and I want to put it on you know, let's say I'm wearing a haptic bodysuit and I want to put those NFTs on my body. I could do that <laughs> technically. And I mean, that's where, you know, we've got it. If I'm walking in Metaverse Fashion Week, I'm going to look drippy as heck. I'm going to be that avatar that's walking through with all of, oh, my, all of my digital wearables. But until we get there, I think it's confusing to know as to which direction we're going. Like, are we going to be Web 2 or Web 3? I think it really depends on the users. And we haven't seen the users really use it yet. This might be a case where the tech is, well, I guess this is always the case with tech, but the tech is being built in anticipation of the users more than the actual demand for it, is my guess, at least at the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that a lot of people thought that the metaverse would be this place where we can all go online and live our lives or play video games. I mean, that's a big thing too. People are still really debating what the metaverse is meant to be used for. I mean, I talked to a lot of people at CES who were building these work metaverses. So Dentsu Next Space is one example. Forumate International, that's another one I spoke to that's based in Japan, which Japan has had a lot of metaverse investment in the past year. But 
there's also these sentiments that the metaverse is for gaming and, you know, having something that's productive versus made for leisure. I mean, how do we how do we make those coexist? Like, can we is my biggest question. I don't know if you guys have thoughts about that. Well, let's hope the uh, metaverse really is interoperable because a walled garden metaverse where you have to have different technology for different uh, systems seems like a hopeless lost cause. Agreed. I think that we are just seeing a lot of walled gardens or walled, what's the metaverse equivalent of a garden? Some little little fields. Fields where you can run your avatar free and you can't say anything to anyone because no one is there to speak to you. Like we were saying, just screaming into the void. <laughs> Sounds pretty awful. Sounds terrible. Sign me up. Next year in Vegas. So when I was at CES last week, I was able to interview a couple people who are in Web3 about the metaverse, NFTs, and some of the technology trends that we're going to see in the first two months of 2023, especially ahead of our Consensus Festival, which is April 26th through 29th this year. So I just got the chance to chat with Sandy Carter. She's the SVP of Unstoppable Domains. And we were talking a little bit about some things that we can look forward to this upcoming year, some trends in the Web3 space. And here's the audio from that interview. So um, I think there'll be a lot more building. I think there's going to be a lot more usage of cross-technology, kind of your entry question. Mm -hmm. So for instance, right now, Unstoppable is using chat GPT, which is all over the place here, Mm -hmm. uh, to help people search for their correct digital identity or fun digital identity for them. I think you're going to start to see more of that kind of building and more utility. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my favorite sayings is utility is greater than hype. And I think that's what you're going to see over the next four months. I think you're also going to see some really incredible new partnerships as you move forward. I think, you know, um, if you think about the bear market that happened before, what ended up happening is there became a lot more partnerships, a lot more acquisitions going on to strengthen those who were the solid players in the market space. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, those are kind of the big two things that I think are going to happen over the next couple of months. Totally. All right. Cam here again. Also at CES, I got the opportunity to speak with Justin Hochberg. He is the CEO and founder of Virtual Brand Group, which essentially helps put brands in the metaverse. So we were talking about some of the things that it takes for brands to have a successful Web3 strategy and what a good metaverse activation looks like. So I'll play some of the audio from that. Here's the way I think about the metaverse, and CES is a great microcosm of it, is the metaverse is often perceived to be something really neat, but nobody's really figured out why or what to do with it. There's no, as they like to say in the software business, a killer app. We think we've found a killer app and that's making people money. What I'm seeing here is a lot of technology, but not a lot of ways it makes a solution for an average person. And I think that's the big leap that needs to happen. I think if if you're a fan of the matrix, Morpheus would say there's a battle brewing between the machines and the humans. And in this instance, the question is open metaverse, which is blockchain, or closed metaverse, which is more like Roblox or Fortnite or meta, right? What I would say is the best way to think about this is start on platforms where you know there's scale, which is the Roblox and the Fortnites of the world. Build your community, test your products and experiences, and then siphon them off to your own metaverse where you control the rules and terms of engagement. 
All right, so now I'm back in New York. I have returned from the craziness of Vegas, and wow, I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes of these first few months of the new year. I think that 2023 is going to be a big year for the metaverse, NFTs, Web3, all things that I'm super interested in. So let's stay tuned. But in the meantime, more good stuff coming your way next week. That was Carpe Consensus. I'm Cam Thompson, and myself, my co-hosts Ben and Danny, will be back next week with another exciting episode. Bye. Coindesk presents Crypto Crooks, Season 1, BitConnect. $2.4 billion, thousands of victims, mysterious deaths, untold misery worldwide. Once you start digging, you never know where it might lead. Consensus is a Coindesk production, executive produced by Jared Schwartz, and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Carpe Consensus. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.